Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. How does he look within giving the grim data of the day? A smaller than expected increase for consumer prices. Um, And now inflation is hitting double digits. You know what? This something for nothing economics isn't conservative. Uh, It's socialism. My colleagues and I are acutely aware that high inflation imposes significant hardship. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. Now, a lot of people are very fearful of what's going to happen when they get old and they can't earn anymore. They'll have to rely on the state pension if they have one, but is it enough? Whereas others have saved quite a lot. In fact, the whole tax system is designed to encourage us to save. But is that a fair system and is it the best way for the economy to encourage us to save rather than spend? And what happens to that money that we invest in our pensions? When you plan for your retirement, who is really paying the cost? That's this week on the Debunking Economics podcast with Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. Welcome along. So there is about two and a half to three trillion pounds of assets in UK private pension schemes. So you would hope that that two and a half to three trillion is about the same as the amount that is expected to be paid out from those schemes. Although, as we discovered during the brief trust premiership, that is not necessarily the case. Uh, And thanks to us putting away money like this, we are obviously helping the finance sector grow, which arguably helps the economy grow. Mm. So, Steve, the finance sector contributes supposedly 8% of the total economic output in the United Kingdom. Our retirement savings will be a chunk of that. So... Isn't that a good thing? I had a student back in Western Sydney days who put a very nice question uh, because I was raising Minsky's financial instability hypothesis and talking about excessive amounts of debt and too much being paid in interest and so on. And he said, is finance a profit center or a cost center? And when you look at manufacturing, you've got something which is a profit center. You're you're taking in inputs, you're making goods, you put a markup on the goods, you you make a profit out of that. Uh, Is finance the same sort of thing? And I think fundamentally, no. Uh, What it ends up being is a cost center. Mm. It's a cost for business. And the higher the amount of finance as part of your economy, the more you have financial costs inhibiting your other activities, manufacturing and and genuine services. So it's a cost, cost for business if they borrow. But if if somebody is investing, uh, people are making money out of finance. There's no no doubt about that. Yeah. But the thing is, is 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 it is it good for an economy to have a a financial sector, which is larger than another economy's financial sector? Mm. And I think uh, well, the finance sector would say yes because we because we yeah. are we are lending more, we are facilitating more growth in our in our economy. Look and at what us. they're doing is facilitating, mainly facilitating Ponzi schemes and in, in, in unaffordable housing and so on. Which is you know the things they look. We've made housing more expensive. Mm. Well, okay, what else can you say against yourself? <laughs> um, it, it, it is, and, and we have to create more financial instruments, obviously, because the more. I mean, this was what was interesting when we we were talking recently. The, the fact that we you know. We, 
we were putting money into into Bitcoin, for example, yeah. uh, is because we need another financial instrument. Because if you've got, and I didn't think about it until you know this discussion, if you've got so many financial instruments mm. and you've got more money being plowed into those financial yeah. instruments, then you are just going to push up the price of whatever it is that sits yeah, behind so it. My, my overall perspective of this now comes back to the way that I... But I that's, what, that's why Bitcoin is just finishing my point. Yeah. Bitcoin is saying, well, we are another financial instrument, so it's somewhere else for money to go. Yeah. If it didn't go into Bitcoin, then it would go into other assets and just push those prices up. But the thing is, why are we wasting, why are we putting so much of our resources into boosting financial assets? Mm. Financial assets are def by definition a claim on somebody else. So why are we increasing claims on somebody else? Rather than, for example, producing more goods, more throughput of goods over time, and I think this this is, it, 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 you know, we talk about a financialized economy. That's what we have these days. Finance sector is far, far larger than it was, say, 40, 50 years ago. I mean, my favourite comparison is actually the UK, because if you look at the UK data, the Bank of England publishes this enormous data series now. It used to be 300 years, and I think it's almost a thousand years of financial data. And as part of that, they've got the ratio, they've got the level of private debt in Britain back to at least 1880, I think, and goes, I think the most recent releases go further back still. So that's not a thousand years. Huh? The thousand no, no, they, 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 you know, they've got I think gold prices back a thousand years, oh, and okay. that sort of thing. But mm. they're varying in time sequences. But the the data that I the last time I used it was back to about eighteen eighty, and the level of private debt in the UK never exceeded seventy percent of GDP from eighteen eighty until nineteen eighty two, then it trebled. And this was all when Maggie Thatcher uh, deregulated the housing market so that banks could lend into housing, whereas previously loans for private housing in the UK were largely the province of building societies. Now, building societies, funnily enough, are what economists think banks are. Okay. If you were to go to a building society, you deposit. You, you, for those people too young to remember this particular thing, you'd deposit your money and you, the money would then be put by the building society into its bank account. And if you wanted to withdraw the money, there were time time limits. It was, it was a, a term deposit. It wasn't mm. a demand deposit. And if you did borrow money, uh, the idea was that money that which you couldn't get access to was financing the people who were borrowing from the building society to build their homes. Yeah. What that meant was there so was the no bank like banks, but with no money creation involved. But no money creation. Now, what that meant was there was no money creation driving house prices, and therefore house prices were affordable. Mm. Now, if you again go back and, and look at the BIS data, Bank of International Settlements data, and and and, and take it back to 1970 or thereabouts, uh, for all the countries which you can find data. For the country with the biggest increase in the price of housing is the UK, right? Now, because it's all because, by letting banks get in there, right? And by the and you're making that point because the size of the finance sector has grown hmm. so much. But as it's, it's, it's so big. But, but it's and but it's grown not necessarily because of, of of people taking out loans, but it's also because people are supposedly saving for their Putting pensions. Putting money to pensions, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, so, and what pensions used to be, let's remind everybody here, pensions used to be a state responsibility, mm. paid out on, a, you know, on the same, effectively the same per capita rate for everybody of a particular age in that country. And we've gone, oh, no, much, much better if we make it based on your income and your investments and your choice of speculative vehicle, blah, blah, blah. 
and it's grown when we've privatised it. We've right. taken away from being a state Well, there still is state, uh, pension, uh, state pensions, but, I mean, the government is spending over $100 billion a year on state pensions in the UK at the moment, which is yeah. about 12% of all its expenditure. And, of course, we know that's only going to get bigger because we're getting older. Uh, we are living... A large part, a large part of the privatising of pensions and so on. It's, 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 again, the same thing applies in Australia and America's got some sort of scheme as well. But in the main, the pressure's been to get the individual to save for their retirement. That's been the ideology. Well, yeah, but here you still you still have that state pension. You don't lose that state pension if you if but you, the state if you pension would be a, more. A, you're a, saying a lot more than like yeah. a, rather pens, than two hundred pounds, about two hundred pounds a week is what you get here. Which, in the state yeah, what can you do? I mean, two, yeah. You certainly can't afford to rent anywhere within several hundred kilometres of London. But lots of but, but lots of people do live on that. And then and if you if even if you were to say, well, let's make it four hundred pounds a week, yeah. there would still be people who are saying, well, that's not enough for me. Oh yeah, but, but if you look at you think, oh, you're always going to have people who want to supplement pensions, it. pensions, and like the, this is one where where despite making the mistake of creating the euro, the European countries generally had better social security systems. So. I, I can't quote number and verse anymore, but I know that some of the, the Nordic countries used to have an arrangement that your pension was 70% of your retirement salary. Mm. And that is three times what people would be facing in the UK. So it, it meant that if, you, if that were what you were going to, to, to get, if you were able to live on your working salary, you'd be able to work on your retirement salary because the cost involved in going to work would no longer be there. So the smaller, even though it's you know, proportionally less than your, your, your wage income, you'd be as comfortable in retirement as you were in working. Uh, and now with the push to uh, state pensions, you can't be comfortable. You've got to be doing something else. And I think that's what's led to a huge part of the Ponzi schemes we're seeing everywhere. People are trying to find a way of buying a non-financial asset, a house or a you know, in, in shares, uh, which will increase in value fast enough to mean they're wealthy during their retirement period. And this is the whole Ponzi scheme. Right. I, 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 there's also just, a, you know, you are heavily incentivized to put money into pensions as mm. well, uh, just for sheer tax evasion. So if you're or not tax evasion, tax minimization, oh, I should yes, say. Yeah, sorry. But uh, yeah, so if you earn over 100000 in the UK, and I'm sure this is the same everywhere else, if you earn over 100000 then you start to lose your tax-free allowance. So that first £12,500 or whatever it is that's tax-free yeah. disappears once you get over that level. Now, 100000 to most people is, is, a, is a lot of money, mm. but, it's, but it's increasingly becoming not as much as it used to be. Uh, and so more people are getting into that bracket, losing that tax-free allowance. So then mm. people go, well, okay. I won't make a hundred thousand because I'll put more money into pensions, so I don't lose that tax-free mm, allowance. Yeah. And if you, if you, then there's a whole load of people who are running uh, their own business uh, and paying out dividends. Same thing happens. You get over. You've got to pay. You know, you you pay yourself a salary. Mm. Uh, then you pay um, corporate tax on the on the on the company's profit. Yeah. And then you can pay yourself dividends. But if you pay more than fifty thousand in dividends, yeah. Then you go from paying eight and a half percent in dividend tax to thirty four percent. So you go so you go, okay, well I won't pay myself more than fifty thousand. So you get to wherever you go, you hit a ceiling where the government is basically saying, like if you're paying yourself more than sixty or seventy thousand pounds a year uh you're gonna pay a lot more in tax. So people will naturally say, well okay, I'll save it. Because I don't pay, I don't pay anything on tax mm-hmm. uh, if I put it into uh, into a pension, and so there's this incentive. The way the tax structure is yeah. to yeah. say put money into your pension funds, yeah, and 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 so that helps the finance sector. No wonder the finance sector is booming. And like the finance, this is. The, 
Eisenhower, people don't often realize the term the military industrial complex was was coined by General President General Dwight D. Eisenhower on his I think his departure speech uh, from being president talked about the growth of a military industrial complex perverting American industry for the sake of this combination of both the military and the industry that serves it. Well, I think the most dominant one these days is what I call the financial political complex, mm. because if your politicians are, are lobbied incessantly by people from the finance sector, most of our, a lot of the politicians, like Rasunak, for example, obviously comes from the finance sector himself. Um, and you have the, the mindset of the finance sector becomes what dominates how politics is set. So decisions like that about pensions are self-serving stuff for the, for the finance sector. Nobody is saying, do we need more financial engineers? I think what we need is more real engineers. And so what we've got is a massively financialized economy. Yeah. And if we didn't, if we, I mean, if we weren't getting people to put money into, into private pensions, I mean, do we delay the spend? Do we still say, well, okay, out of the money that you're earning, give it to the government, we'll look after it and we'll pay you a state pension that might be 75% of whatever, you, whatever mm-hmm. you're earning now in, in your old age. That's still money taken out of what you're spending. Or do we say, no, we'll, we'll spend that money when we need to, when we get to that stage. In the meantime, we want to encourage you to spend all the money that you have. Well, I, th- I think it's, it's more about what sort of industrial structure do you want for your society? And this, again, if you look back at Maggie Thatcher's ascension, and it really is her political turn that made that huge shift in the UK away from having a focus upon industry to a focus upon finance. The argument was we can do without the manufacturing sector will specialise in services mm. and services will then be the way that the UK becomes internationally dominant, not manufacturing. Now, the manufacturing sector has duly been trashed, no doubt, no doubt about that. Mining as well, of course, because a large part of that was shutting down the coal mines. Um, but the finance sector... The only part of it which was really growing, we're not talking you know, extra massages and extra haircuts, et cetera, et cetera. No. We're talking financial services, and that largely meant creating debt, and that's where the trebling of the level of private debt occurred as, as part of that. But did that debt finance productive investment, or did it finance a rise in asset prices? And overwhelmingly, the answer is that it financed a rise in asset prices. And the reason it, it financed that debt is because if I'm putting a slug of my money that I've earned into into the finance sector as, a, as my pension fund, oh. then they're going to loan that out to somebody. Well, they must just loan it. They'll loan it. Or they, well, the, They'll buy they, they, something with it. Which I is, mean, there's, this is where the non-bank financial sector comes in because mostly what you're talking about with pensions is not banks but non-banks. Yeah. And then that gives them a, you know, a source so of I put revenue, the, yeah. which so I put they the, I then put use to buy shares or, and, or other financial or assets with yeah. them. And so on. And the banks at the same time, the banks largely are no longer supplying uh, loans to manufacturers, which blush, <laughs> you have some, okay, there are some business loans, but about 90% of loans go into housing. And then rather than causing houses to increase, it's caused house prices to increase. Yeah. And so what you've had is it, it's, it's a financial bubble. But if I, but if I uh, put my money into a, into a pension fund, that pension fund then uses that money to buy bonds in, not government bonds, but bonds, corporate bonds, which a company no. has, is basically issuing its own debt so that it can grow. That's not a bad thing, is it? That, that does happen. But like, let's, let's, if, let's backtrack quite dramatically to the 1970s mm. in America. And that's when Basil Moore, one of the, the great post-Keynesian economists, <clears throat> was attacking the whole in, interpretation of finance that mainstream economics had. And a large part of that was uh, uh, that money is created by the banking sector. 
Not uh, So the mainstream still believes this nonsense model of the money multiplier. And, uh, and, and so and what Basil was doing is assembling the empirical data against that model. But a large part of what he was using his example of endogenous money creation is that corporations used to negotiate what they call lines of credit with major banks. So if you had a company like General Electric, it might negotiate a line of credit, meaning in effect like a bank card, for a, you know, a billion, several billion dollars with 30 or so banks. And that meant then, then once that, if, if you, let's say they, they'd renegotiated 100, let's say a, a 10 billion, you know, a large number, and they'd spent 1 billion of it, they had 9 billion to go. Where if they wanted to spend 9 billion, the banks could not stop them. Mm. Okay. Now that's like with a credit card. If you have a credit card and you've yep. got zero balance on it and a ten thousand quid maximum, you can go and swipe nine thousand nine ninety nine pounds and go and buy yourself a high end stereo system. So that's a relationship between them and the bank, basically. But what, Whereas, that, but yeah. what that means is that's how banks actually create money. Yeah. Now he used the example of lines of credit. They don't exist anymore, mm. largely, because they weren't profitable enough for the banks. They've shut them down. And so what has happened instead is corporation, when they want to raise money for paying wages and, 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 and you know, supplier costs and so on, they issue what they call commercial paper. So they'll say, here's a, a note, which is the face value of you know, ninety of $100, and we'll sell it to you for $98. And that means that when, you buy, when we buy it back from you after 30 days, we've paid you 2% interest. Mm. Okay. So the commercial market, but so the uh, corporate and then, and then longer longer term though. So yeah, for short term cash flow. Well, what they, 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 they found then, themselves forced to do what finance used to do for them. Yeah. Okay. And and this is the financialization of the economy because that, then, the, because then that becomes a financial yeah, instrument and, that and, gets bought and sold. And yeah. it, it is it is uh, it is an unproductive use of the intelligence of people. I'd rather see engineers designing you know planes and solar power systems but it, rather than financial engineers designing pension schemes. <laughs> but, it, I mean, it, but it, there is the benefit, though, that if, I, if I've if i got money which I uh, want to save for, for, for my retirement, mm. if it's used in the meantime to fund business, there's nothing wrong with that. It's fun, it doesn't fund business. It funds a, a speculative bubble. Okay? Mm. It, 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 the vast majority of the money is going into the housing sector and going into asset purchases. It's not going to... If you're old, you may be old enough to remember in English... You I think you keep on forgetting how young I am, Steve. I think you, 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 you assume that I'm the same age as you, when in fact I'm much, much younger, much... Incredibly younger. Okay, okay. Well, if you're not old Ten enough, remember so. they're called the plane makers. You ever see that one? No. It was brilliant. You're complaining about a Brit show about a Brits in Australia before we started recording this. Go and look up the plane makers. And that was a show about a British company making planes. Now, that wasn't a Monty Python series. It was actually a genuine series. You used to make aeroplanes here. Mm. Instead, you financial engineer, your flights are the flights of the asset prices, yeah. not the flights of the uh, the, con- uh, the Concorde. And, and I guess the, you know, the problem is that all of this is being counted as part of our GDP, isn't it? Which you know, just well, the, the, to the, demonstrates yeah. what a nonsense how, how, measure it is. So, like, if, so if, I had 50, if I put £50,000 aside... I mean, I could do one of two things with it, couldn't I? I could, I could spend that fifty thousand in the economy, you know, and then you do mm. get the, you know, the the the, the economic multiplier yeah. uh, in that that fifty thousand uh, pounds, you know, gets spent on things that then pays people, and they have money which they then spend. So that's another fifty thousand, and and so yeah. it goes on, and so we get the velocity of money kicking in. Yeah. If I spend that fifty thousand and I put it into the financial then sector, it slows down. It yeah. slows down. 
but it's but it's still counted as part of GDP. And that's isn't it? the problem, I mean, even though we, nothing's really. Yeah, been if you, if you go back and look at where national accounts came from, the, uh, Copeland in the United States was mainly responsible for designing the national income and, and uh, NEPA, the national in, in, income and production accounts, I think they're called. And the question came: How do you actually measure the finance sector? And like with with the with the industrial, I mean, you measure the goods that are sold, you know, the actual value of commodities going out the door and commodity production per year was how you measured the industrial side of the economy. Well, there was nothing being produced by the finance sector. So the simple uh, shortcut was say, let's add up the wages and profits. Mm. Okay. Now... That's that's adding up your costs, not adding up your 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 your, uh, your profits fundamentally. Mm. But it's treating those as, as as on the same score as as profits from sale of of manufactured items. So it aggrandizes the finance sector. The more it costs, the better it is. But if that's a cost of getting business done, then you you're saying, oh, it's great. It's now more expensive to make stuff here. That's a real improvement. Uh, and then at the same time, if you say, well, let's not make stuff. Let's just make things more expensive. Let's have more expensive houses and more expensive shares, et cetera, et cetera. That's what it's ended up doing. It hasn't been a productive issue at all. And I want, I want to see a decline in the financialization. That would be a good thing for everybody except the finance sector. And well, th- uh, things being more exp- tears over the finance sector after lunch. Things being more expensive are, are okay if people have got more money, of course, isn't it? Which so, they haven't. Yeah. Uh, all the complaints are coming from. Yeah. So, it has been, a, you know, it's 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 part of why Britain in particular has become impoverished mm. uh, over the last forty years. We we had people who said, "Look, trust us. We we're, we're neoliberals. We know what we're doing. Uh, we will make the economy work better. We'll privatise this rather than public stuff. Things work better in this private sector, so you'll get much better trains here. You know, in forty years' time, you'll hop on a train in the UK and you'll find it's got this swish high speed stuff and gets you around really quickly and it's really cheap. And those poor continentals with their publicly system will have run-down trains and you know, like, you like the TGV going to the south of France I mean, I, I, at I would, only 150 do, miles an hour or whatever it is. You, you, yeah. yeah, that's right. You and I need to do a, like, do a show where we do the, the forecast of neoliberalism and what actually happened. And it's a completely different world. Right. So in this completely different world where uh, I'm not putting money into a pension scheme and we have less of a financialized economy. You might have more of an investment one. Yeah. Okay. We'll look at what that looks like when we come back in just a second on the Debunking Economics podcast with Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. We are back very, very soon. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. 
Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. So we are looking at uh, retirement on the Debunking Economics podcast this week. And and, uh, is it necessary for us to save for retirement or should it all be provided by the state? And when we do save, what happens to it? It just adds to the financialization of the economy. But so, Steve, if if we weren't doing this, mm. uh, I mean, you're always going to have people who want to who want to save, obviously. But if, yeah. just imagine if everyone was very happy with the state pension. It was so extraordinarily large. We all felt very confident that we were going to be able to live our latter years in mm. in an enormous amount of comfort. What would happen? Uh, I mean, we and you've described the situation where banks would be loaning out to companies. If companies wanted to grow or they needed mm. cash, either for cash flow purposes or for, for capital investment, they go to banks and banks would invest and that would be, you mm. know, the, that's the way it would operate. So we wouldn't have these bits of paper, these bonds that are being mm. issued that are then treated as financial instruments. So the finance sector would be a lot smaller than it was. Yep. But if I wanted to save... Well, first of all, if I'm not saving because I'm happy about what I'm going to get from my retirement, I'd have a lot more cash swilling around. What am I going to do with that? I'm only going to spend it. And that's going to push prices up, isn't it? Well, not going to maybe not asset, Maybe not houses. Not, not asset but, prices. I mean, uh, yeah, and, and like, but everything else. So I'd have more money left because asset prices haven't gone up. So the, the, it, it, the price it, it, of a Mars bar would treble, for example. No, there wouldn't. Maybe the quantity of Mars bars might treble, which actually is probably worse than the price rising. Um but, but we'll, so we'll consume more. We would be consuming more. We would actually Which is be, a problem in itself. Well, this is with the with the with, with the situation we're approaching with climate change. Yes, 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 that is a huge problem. But the thing is, we would have the industrial skills that are necessary to convert from what we're doing to what we need to do to survive climate change. Now, one of the reasons why I'm pessimistic about you know, our future in general is that we've got the wrong sorts of engineers. We have people who are nice and happy to design financial instruments. They have no idea of how to. design design a vehicle or a power unit or you know, anything at all, physical. And yet we're going to need those physical skills drastically to cope with the change from a fossil fuel economy to whatever comes after a non So we'd have more cash because we're not putting it into, into our pension. We'd have more cash today we'd to spend cap- on climate change in- mitigation. We'd have, more climate, we'd have more capable engineers than we have right now. What we've ended up with is a, is a bunch of Pardon, is it wankers or bankers? I keep forgetting. No, which, don't worry. Sorry, we don't know okay. to death. Okay. Come on. Uh, who are into into designing financial instruments and and and, and taking a slice off the gain of the. Right, asset but those profit. those people will all be unemployed. So let's worry about the rest of us. We've got all this extra cash now. Yeah. Uh, that we're not investing into the into the finance system. Assuming we're all going to earn the same amount of money, maybe we won't. Maybe we'll start earning less because we don't need uh, mm. as much money to invest. Mm. What happens then? What do we, where does all this extra cash go? What do we do with it? Well, it just ends up going into the, into the physical economy rather than the financial system. Mm. And this is the, um, the, the problem that we always have with the banking sector. Uh, and, and Richard Vague's work highlights this beautifully. Uh, they are always going to go into bubbles. 
whatever bubble is like for so Richard's experience began with the uh, the oil bubble and after the quadrupling of oil prices in '79, and uh, every every bank in Texas was lending to a uh, a uh, oil rig, and then the oil rig the oil price collapsed, so the oil went bankrupt, and then that's where Richard's uh, you know success in the commercial in, in uh, consumer lending. Uh, occurred, and he just said, "This is the if you if, if you're a banker and you're not investing in the current bubble, you're the outsider at all the social gatherings. Uh, so the, the, what we get out of a of a system driven by finance is bubbles, mm. herd behaviour, and and stagnation. Also, How much of the the slow I think growth a huge that we're seeing? Part of the stagnation because we look at because yeah. we've barely got over two percent for yeah. well, for well over a decade." Yeah. In terms of GDP growth in the UK, and it's the same in many other parts of yeah. the Western world as well, isn't yeah. it? So if we if we weren't if, if we got over this financialization stage, yeah, GDP would pick up, the growth rate would pick up. Well, also we could have been investing in like you know solar technology and wind technology and nuclear technology 50 years ago mm. versus what we've done instead. But I'm not going to do that as an individual with the, the, the extra cash that I've got available. Though. I'm, <laughs> I'd, I'd be, someone would be trying to sell me bonds, which you get back to the financialization of the industry. Well, only the bonds have only turned it because they'll let the finance sector take over. Right. I mean, the whole fact that you have individuals as opposed to be considering which share investments to make for their, for their retirement portfolio um, it, is nonsense. Right, but, if, but again, it gets back to, so if I've got that spare cash, yeah. how do I help you, the, the funding of wind farms? Because you, you'll be buying them. Right. Okay. Uh, from who? From manufacturers who would exist. Right. You're not for the and how would, of, by issuing me shares? No, by, by buying <laughs> products off them. Come on. They, <laughs> you're trying <laughs> to tie me in knots. Well, no, I mean, well, because I do can see that the financialization is going to creep back in again. Isn't well, it? This, you have to you have to try to keep a, head, a lid on it. And this is mm. why, like, like I, one of my favorite phrases uh, from Marx is the roving cavaliers of credit. Mm. And he was quite aware of the extent to which the finance sector can take over the physical economy. And he said at one stage, and the, these, I don't think he used the word morons, but it was something similar. These morons know nothing about production and should have nothing to do with it. Okay. Now, he was quite right in 1870. It's the truth in 1970. It's the truth in 2020. Uh, the finance sector knows bugger all about how to do get manufacturing done and should get the hell out of the way and just be a service point. Uh, for the needs of the of the actual physical economy, not dominate it, not run it. We've let it run it, and what it means is we've had financial bubbles galore. We've reduced the rate of growth of the physical economy rather than increased it. And when we will need a drastic change in the direction of the physical economy, we won't have the skill sets necessary to enable that. So when we get to uh, to, to the stage where you know we all want to retire on our two thirds of of what we've been earning all of mm. our life and have a, have a comfortable old age. Where does that money come from? Because obviously the idea that it would be a, you know, for conventional thinking, it would be a borrowing, the idea that a generation would say, oh, well, you know, we're not going to save anymore. We'll, we'll be paid for by the next generation. It's not, it's not the amount you save. It's the amount of physical resources and productivity you have at the time and whether you can devote that to people who aren't, pay, aren't working. Mm. That's the real issue. So you need the physical resources, not the financial at the time. The financial is going to be buying goods and services. And if you're not producing the goods and services, then it's worthless. Um, so the, what we're, so when I'm 85, huh? who's paying? How am I getting well, paid? Well, the, uh, the people below 85 who are still working should be... You know, we, 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 sh- we should as and that, and that, but that is what I'm saying that is where yeah. you know you, it's a very difficult political argument that isn't it because to have people saying hang on a second now you could have saved all through your life 
to pay for your retirement. And this is, this, but this again, this is making the mistake of believing saving creates money. Mm. Okay, it doesn't. Okay, banks create money, governments create money, um, and the government create creating money could be used to say we're going to reserve a certain fraction of our resources for people who are no longer young enough to work, and that should be something we can all say. Okay, when I can't work in the future. The state or the society in general will make sure that I can still I can still have a decent standard of living. Now, instead, we've completely taken that away and said it's up to you. And also, the way the pensions are determined, the wealthier you are, the more pension you have. That doesn't help you if you're a low grade, low, low income worker. You end up you live in poverty while you're working. You have poverty when you retire. Mm. Uh, it's a huge part of where the dissatisfaction with the society has come from. So, and it becomes an intergenerational issue as yeah. well, of course, yeah. because most people who get a, a, a healthy pension still have it when they die mm. and it gets passed on. So yeah. and we'll talk about intergenerational wealth uh, in, a, in a, a subsequent episode. But I mean, that's a, it's a big contributor to it, of course, isn't it? But it's to, just this idea that uh, funding everybody from today's money um, would would mean a lot, a lot more, well, either... A lot more tax or an acceptance that governments can go into debt. We haven't and, had we haven't had that we haven't won that argument in we're society. Never win it. And it's as frustrating as hell for me because I see this nonsense being pumped out by conventional economists like Mankiw and, and Blanchard, and uh, they just completely misunderstand the monetary system. And that's a huge part of why we've ended up in this mess to begin with. And we are so we. And, and there's also the question, because it's not just old age, is it? I mean, there's a lot of people who do, oh, depend I mean, on welfare as well. We just look after pensioners a little bit more because we've, you yeah. know, in the UK, we've triple locked. So we basically said, well, it's either uh, you, your pension is going to go up by CPI or it's going to go up by 2.5% or it's going to go by whatever the rise in average earnings, mm. whichever is the largest. Mm. So we do look after old people. I mean, they, the, most people won't have enough to live off on a, on a state pension alone. Um, but we do look after them more than we do, for example, young people or the working poor, for example, people who are, you know, yeah. force, forcing themselves to go to food banks to get fed. I know, and this is one thing like I find difficult about travelling between London and other cities. The level of homelessness here is just striking compared to virtually any other city I've been to, including even Bangkok for that matter. Um, so the, the extent to which poverty is forced upon people or people find themselves in a poverty trap and can't get out is, is appalling. Mm. And uh, the whole focus on how are you going to pay for it is a large part of why that situation has occurred. So, so how do we manage this then? How do, how do we develop a system where there's less financialization going on because less of us are putting money into the finance system to you know supposedly save for mm. our for our pensions. Do we do it with tax? Do we say, well, you can if you want, but we're not going to give, you've got to do we're not going to give you a tax dodge no, of any I, I sort? It's, it's, it's because the, the power of the banking sector to create money and, and the power, the political power that comes out of that as well is huge. So you have to contrain it. You have to put it in a box. And the box would say you can only, for start becoming a bank, is actually a state privilege. You have to get a state registration to become capable of creating money. With that uh, privilege should come responsibilities. Okay? You should, we should uh, limit what banks can lend to. And I've argued this for, for decades now, that banks should not 
be allowed to lend more than, say, 10 times the annual rental income of a property mm. for the purchase of a property. And that would that could potentially eliminate so that's the a, housing okay, bubble. So that, so that, yes, so that's an answer to how do we stop yeah. the growth of financialization in the yeah. economy. But also to stop me putting my money into the finance sector because I'm saving for... So I've got... It's a tax dodge. Well, not a tax dodge, but I mean, there's a lot of tax incentives for you to save for your retirement now. Mm. If we were to say, well, we want to stop that happening because too much of that money going into the finance sector is just mm. making the situation worse. It's putting money into these instruments that are created, which helps perpetuate the finance sector. Do we stop that by saying, well, f- number one, it's no longer tax deductible? Is that, is that the first step? You can save if you want, mm. but it's in after-tax dollars, so you might as well, or after-tax pounds, so you might as well spend it on your day-to-day living rather than Well, that's it. partly where, where corporations have got caught up in this because they get tax deduction for interest but not tax deductions for dividends. Mm. So it actually biases them in favour of debt financing rather than equity financing, and it's why they'll do share buybacks. Um, uh, you know, so there's, there are all elements about the taxing system which get in the way. But I think a lot of it just fundamentally comes down to understanding how the banking system actually operates, that it actually creates money. It's not uh, pooling savings. It doesn't need your savings. It actually creates them by creating debt on one side and deposits on the other. But you want that debt to be, uh, if you're going to create debt, you want it to be something which is like, is going to enable more more productive resources in the future. And a more expensive house does not produce more children, so far as I've seen. No. Well, maybe Moggs is an exception there. Rees Moggs. Did you know his name? Yeah, Jacob Bruce Mogg. Yeah. Yeah, 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 just the very idea it's, of having it, children. It, they make his house. You might have twice as many kids. You never know. Mm. Um, but in, in general, you're not producing anything out of making houses more expensive. Yeah. But that's been the large, largely. That's if you want to say what's been the benefit of deregulating the finance sector, it's more expensive housing. And less manufacturing, and that's hardly what I call a productive economy. So the old in the old, how did it work in the olden days? Then, when it comes to you know just focusing on pensions now. So I, I look at my old mum. She's she's got a state pension, and then she's got a pension left over from my dad working for ICI. So yeah. companies used to supplement pensions yeah. as an incentive for you to work for that for that company. Of course, they held the liability for those pensions as well, so you didn't get that money if the company goes against the wall, which we've mm. seen from time to time. But is that a is that a better way? So so you are saying- something of that nature. I mean, when you think about pensions, pensions are largely necessary for people who are not wealthy. Okay? Mm. Uh, so you're working working class, your middle class, lower middle class. That's the part of the society which is going to depend upon a pension. If you're an entrepreneur, if you're a wealthy capitalist, and so on, uh, you're never going to need it. And um, so. Well, you're going to need cash flow from something, but, but yeah, from the companies for your tax dodge, not as not as a necessary source of income. Yeah. So you you really when you're trying to reduce pensions, you're trying to reduce the extent to which the state takes care of the poor, and that is you know that that is a, a recipe for social breakdown over time. Uh, you, there's a reason to say we some people have you know, factory workers. Um, Workers in fast food restaurants, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If you ca- you're not you're not going to make a fortune, okay? But you're going to make enough to stay alive. And when you can no longer work, we're going to also make sure you can stay alive. That's the level that gets the pensions. Now, when you put the pressure on reducing pensions and say it's what you save and your financial investments and so on, you're ignoring that part of society. When that part of society is five percent or so. That's survivable. When it's hitting 30%, and I think that's quite a reasonable estimate for the UK, if not higher, then you've got a society which is going to fragment. 
and that the ignorance about the need to maintain a decent living standard for the whole of society because a, a huge part of the problems that countries like the UK find themselves in today. But the idea uh, and the Labour Party in the UK, and I think this happens quite a bit in in in, uh, in you know that socialist country Germany, West Germany, yeah. uh, the idea that you give workers a shareholding within within the business, mm. uh, and that shareholding you'd hope would go up in value. So, but at least they've accrued something. That that is almost like a state pension in a, in a way, isn't it? It's giving them well, an that's, ass, that's, giving that's, them an asset. That is that a good is, thing or a bad thing? Well, that's partly that reflects the different industrial structure of Germany. I mean, Germany. I, I don't know whether it still applies, but when I learned about Germany at my university days, uh, German companies had two boards. They had the, cor- the normal corporate board and what they call the office threat, I think it was, yeah. which is an it's oversight board that has workers on it and customers and local residents and so on. So what you were doing was getting a community uh, feed into the company and community engagement with the company as well coming out of that. And I think that's why, probably the reason why uh, Germany is still an industrial power. Mm. It seems to be losing its grip at the moment, it, but it's, it hung it a lot longer than the UK did. It does seem a healthier system, doesn't it, where you say, well, okay, the government's going to look after you in, in you know, to a, to a degree that you can live on reasonably comfortably until mm. uh, you die, till the day that you die, and, uh, and without carrying over wealth for the next generation. Mm. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll just keep on paying till you die. Uh, and then if you want to supplement it, choose carefully. And there'll yeah. be employers out there who are saying, well, look, we'll look after you. We'll give you a good pension scheme or we'll give you a share scheme. Uh, we'll contribute to, to supplement it because mm-hmm. then the company is doing that work rather than the finance sector. That sounds like... Uh, That's a bit healthier. I want, I, I want, I'd rather see the industrial sector in charge than the financial sector. Yeah. And then it is, so to, to get to that stage, it's really just a question of tax, isn't it? Tax incentives for, for savings. No, <laughs> it's a question of, of the politics of your culture, and and starting off by saying, uh, you know, we want to ensure that anybody who's in our in our cult in our society uh, can live comfortably uh, from from birth to death. Uh, we don't want people ending up in homelessness and and poverty um, when we need their input to society. You know, you know, uh, I'm getting a bit inarticulate here, but I, I just I find it debilitating the extent to which we're going to have money in tax, rather than saying our first priority is a standard of living, mm. and then we ensure that you know, and we figure out how we get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and when we're not doing it, okay, we, we thought the market would get us there, and what we ended up is Ponzi schemes and bubbles and crashes instead. Right. Well, next time we're going to talk about the price of energy. Uh, okay. And uh, are we paying enough? And what what would happen if we really did pay the right, the true price of energy? Would, well, I'm going to be even more depressing on that than I was on this one. <laughs> well, I thought we had some positive uh, positive <laughs> outlook today. I thought, you know, comparatively speaking. Uh, anyway, we'll do that next week. Good to talk, Steve. Okay, mate. Good. The Debunking Economics Podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy the Y-Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search the Y-Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.